Welcome to the podcast series for the Gender Institute at LSE. In today's podcast, Safia Ashtiani, Leading Solicitor and Gender Inequality and Power Commission Law Commissioner, reflects on the Commission's cross-cutting theme of rights. When we're looking at our overarching inquiry into women, inequality and power, one of the obvious areas that comes to the fore in your minds is the way in which in various aspects of women's participation in public work, in work generally, in the economy and so on, the the extent to which rights which are either universal but particularly benefit women in their struggle for equality or specific rights which are directed at the experience of women can help to move women forward on the agenda, can help to level out those inequalities. So it seemed to us very critical that we should look at what kind of rights regimes work why they work, what doesn't work and what we need to do going forward. Now one of the key things to emerge during the Commission's evidence gathering has been the question of gaining access to justice. What what are the key concerns here? We've been concerned by a number of different strands. The first is a general intent and attention by governments and the last government and the current one to limit the cost of justice and what this means is that the access to legal aid has been hugely slashed In areas such as employment tribunals, fees have been introduced for the first time, and really quite significant fees. When you think that the median award in a tribunal is around £3,000, paying somewhere over £1,000 to get there in the first place is really quite daunting for someone who's lost her job. And so the limitation of costs has been one of the things that has had this consequence of making it more difficult for people to access the courts. And the fact that courts themselves have been reduced in size and in number has meant that enforcing rights or going before the courts in order to um, be protected from harm has become much harder and these are areas in which we see perhaps disproportionate impact on women. It worries us very much. And of course, there's an underlying thread, which is that many of our rights or powers which are derived from European Commission law also have built in them the right of access to enforcement and to protection. And so we're getting increasingly concerned that these are being undermined as well. Now, there's been quite a lot of discussion about a a sort of a privatisation of the law. What, What do we mean by that? And I wonder if you could give us an example of where this is throwing up concerns as well. One of the things that seems to be happening increasingly is for people in authority to look for ways different from adjudication by judges to sort out legal issues and legal conflicts, which are not juridical. And an obvious example there is the push to mediation. So in all court systems, really, mediation has come increasingly to the fore. It's now built into the tribunal systems. In fact, you can't bring a case alleging discrimination or unfair treatment at work without first having a sort of statutory attempt to resolve it through a private means, really. This is all fine and dandy. There's a place for conflict resolution without judicial intervention. But one of the things that it does increasingly is to put pressure on the weaker party to take what's on offer rather than to face the uncertainty and the cost of pushing for an enforcement regime. The weaker party tends to be the person trying to assert their rights or to seek protection from unfair treatment and where there is also a gender issue as well, you can see a sort of double whammy building up. So you hear anecdotally from mothers who feel they've been pushed into settlements that they didn't feel were necessarily advantageous for them or their child.
child. And you certainly hear anecdotally from people who have been moved into accepting a kind of conflict resolution type, mediation type offer, even when they don't really think that they've had their complaint properly heard or evaluated. And that is a matter of concern. Not everything is capable or should be capable of just being sorted out by the parties themselves with a sort of benign ring holder. Some things are really important and judges should be able to pronounce on what the law is. Now, is it fair, would you say, to say that there's still a sort of a tension between the notion of rights for all and recognising differences for specific groups within the population? One of the things that the Equality Act has really thrown up is this concept of how you categorize or prioritize rights. So on the one hand, you can only get certain protections if you can bring yourself or if you fall within a protected characteristic, gender, race, disability, and so on. On the other hand, in particular, between religious groups and other protected minorities, you have a tension which needs to be resolved as to which side of the equation you fall down on. Do you give primacy to to, say, a Christian or a Muslim or a Jewish belief that homosexuality is wrong? Or do you give priority to the rights of gay people to be treated equally in society? And we're making decisions like this all the time. It's one of the things that our judges are being asked to do. So, for example, it's been now established that you can't discriminate against gay people in the way in which you offer housing or in the way in which you offer hotel services. But on the other hand, a doctor who doesn't believe in abortion is allowed to manifest conscience clause and say, my conscience doesn't allow me to carry them out. You can see that there's some quite interesting issues that come up there. Indeed. So would you say that means that then there's a sort of a fundamental problem with the Equalities Act, which was, after all, designed to achieve a, a fairer and more equal playing field for all? The Equalities Act was intended to achieve a more equal playing field for people who possessed the identified protected characteristics. So one of the things about our law is that there isn't, apart from unfair dismissal protection and whistleblower protection and those kinds of more general rights, there isn't a general right to fair treatment. There's a right not to be discriminated against. If you're a woman, if you're a gay person, if you are of a particular religious minority or even a particular religious majority, if you're of a particular racial or ethnic origin, if you belong to those groups, if you're disabled, you're entitled not to be discriminated against. But the Equalities Act doesn't set out to provide a general fair treatment provision uh, to set a standard for society as a whole. And maybe that's something that we need to reflect on that maybe there are areas in which we actually need to say, well, these are certain rights that are available to us all. And in a sense, the human rights legislation tries to do that, to say there are certain things that mustn't happen to anybody, degrading treatment and torture, and there are certain things that everybody is entitled to, subject to the rights of a civilised society to control limits of behaviour, like free speech, free association, the right to family life. And maybe that's an interesting way in which the different pieces of legislation work differently. I want to talk to you a little bit about rights in the workplace and I wonder where legislation does allow for positive action, for example, in hiring a woman over a man where they have similar qualifications but where women may be underrepresented. Do you think that's working? I think one of the big problems has been in the five years since the Equalities Act came into force, the 2010 Act, we really haven't seen very much happen to dismantle disadvantage and the tiebreaker has barely been used at all. And there are a number of reasons for that. 
people generally feel more comfortable with a kind of passive rights regime that says we mustn't treat people less favorably. They feel slightly more uncomfortable with an approach that says you must actually give people a bit of a leg up because we think we have a fair society. So we think if we give one gender or sex a leg up, we're being unfair to the other sex. And you've seen this debate in women-only shortlists in Parliament where there's been this huge toing and froing as to how you manage to get more women into Parliament if you don't have women-only shortlists. But lots of women, in fact, are slightly uneasy about being given what they feel to be special advantages. So you've got a psychological barrier towards positive action. And that's even more acute when you've got the question of the tiebreaker. You have a whole debate about it's never possible to have two equally qualified people. You can always choose at the end of the day between one person and another. Or if you do have it, it's only for very, very straightforward jobs where the qualifications are really pretty basic and pretty minimal. And there's also this view that if you have equally qualified people and you choose the woman, you're being unfair to the man. And so until you become a bit more sophisticated about your whole notion of what amounts to merit and equally qualified and qualifications on the one hand, and become more serious and committed about dismantling really very persistent disadvantages in the workplace on the other, I think you're not going to have that psychological mind shift that you need to make positive action a much more central tool of our non-discrimination laws, our equality laws. And I don't know how we're going to get there. It's going to take time. Indeed. Just finally, it's been a really important um, phase of gathering evidence for the Commission. But I wonder what, whether it's possible to say at this stage what sorts of things it will be taking forward now and whether there are any really clear recommendations starting to emerge at this stage of its work. For example, in the area of gender discrimination in employment, we are looking quite closely at slightly sort of harder things like targets and quotas as opposed to softer things like encouragement and focus groups and mentoring and so on, to see whether there are ways in which we can really shift these stuck problems, whether it's pay equality or whether it's senior women or whether it's just retention of women in the professions or what it is. We're looking at some slightly harder recommendations, but it's still quite a long piece of work to do. We've still got several months of thinking before we finalise our recommendations. Safia Ashtiani, Visiting Professorial Fellow at Queen Mary College London and Principal of Ashtiani Associates, was talking to Chris Garrington following the Commission's final session. You can find out more about the work of the Commission at www.lsc.ac.uk forward slash Gender Institute and you can also follow us on Twitter at LSC Gender Tweet.